John 6, 53 to 63, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down, <clears throat> this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Well, I bring you greetings from Abangascasur, Nicaragua. Uh, we just got back on Monday, 11 of us that went on a little mission trip. Uh, great to renew friendships, and hopefully uh, in the next few weeks, uh, we'll, we'll give you a, a more extended report about some of the things uh, we did, and also maybe have an opportunity for you uh, to sign up for next year's trip. So we're on John chapter 6, and last week, uh, Hermie Bonico talked about the feeding of the 5,000 with two fish, and I heard with five bowls of rice. Is that right? Well, maybe in the Philippines. And then if you keep reading, there's an account of Jesus walking on the water, and I think the takeaway from that is that Jesus, he's with us, even in the storms of life. And Matthew's account has Peter walking on the water too. And the takeaway from that is that if you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. And you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, not on the waves. And then if you keep reading in John 6, Jesus talks about how our forefathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. And how prophetic, you know, and in a very prophetic way, that manna points us to Jesus Christ who said, I am the bread of life. And now, in our text that Steve just read, uh, we read about the blood. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And how appropriate on Communion Sunday to talk about the blood of Jesus. And I've entitled this message, Power in the Blood. Remember there's an old hymn by that title, Power in the blood, remember, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. One verse says, would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. That is, we're to have victory in the blood of Jesus. I believe many people who walk into our churches and sit in our pews every Sunday do not understand the power of the blood in this way, and that is to walk in victory. Billy Graham, I think, understood the power of the blood, humble man. How many saw parts of the funeral? You know, his children rising up and calling him blessed and, you know, just uh, uh, true to his calling. I love that quote 
They said, hey, if you ever read that Billy Graham's dead, don't you believe it? He's more alive than he's ever been. He just changed his address. He's in the very presence of God, and it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel that he preached. Oh, we understand the shed blood of Jesus, but not the shared blood of Jesus. And believe me when I say, if you learn this lesson today about the blood of Jesus, I think your heart is going to be strangely worn because there really is power in the blood. And first of all, the blood of Jesus, let's just say it's a sacred blood. You know, two months ago, we celebrated the birth of Christ, did we not? And his birth was a virgin birth. Matthew 1.23, the virgin will be with child. It was a sacred, supernatural birth. I don't understand it all, but I'll tell you one thing. Jesus was no ordinary child, and the virgin birth was so necessary for Jesus to be who he was, the sinless Savior, Son of God. And what kind of blood flowed through the veins of Jesus? It was a sacred blood, and I'll tell you why. Jesus was virgin born. And we need to understand this, that the blood is determined by the father and not by the mother. And you see the blood that was in Jesus, it was divine blood. The angel said about Mary, the mother of Jesus, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It was sacred blood. It was the blood of God, the blood of God. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor, hold on just one minute. God is a spirit. God doesn't have any blood. Well, he did when Jesus was here on earth. And if you read in Acts chapter 20, the 20th chapter, Paul is talking to those Ephesian elders on that island of Miletus. And I believe about verse 28, Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That verse says the church was bought and paid for It was purchased with what? With the blood of God. It's a sacred blood. And because it's sacred, it's also number two on the outline. It's a saving blood. You see, had that blood not been sacred blood, it could have saved no one because Jesus Christ had to be innocent in order to die for sin. You see, the Bible says the wages, right? In in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. In Ezekiel, it says, the soul that sins will surely die. And there's, there's a capital punishment that our sins deserve. But Jesus took our sins upon himself and became this innocent substitute and suffered the death that we should have suffered. You see, that's the reason Jesus was born, right? He was born to die. There was a cross in the cradle, and Jesus died for us. But had he not been sinless, he could not have died for me. He would have had to die. But it would have been only for his sins and not mine. He could have only paid the sin penalty for himself. He could never have paid mine had he not been innocent. You see, a sinner can't save a sinner. Only a savior can save a sinner like you and like me. And three of my favorite verses that I often pray, the first one's from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Even though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. He was rich, but he became poor. And then Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin, but he became sin. 
And then 1 Peter 3, it's not 13, but it's 3, 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So the righteous died for the unrighteous. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And Jesus took our sins. And there was an innocent sacrifice. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. And without the virgin birth, uh, you could not be saved. You see, he came as he did, virgin born, to be what he was, sinless. And he was what he was, sinless, to do what he did, that we might have our sins forgiven and so that we might be saved. And, and God never really overlooks sin. Sin is always paid for. If God were to overlook sin, God would no longer be holy. You see, God has sworn by his holiness that sin, it must be punished. Now, they say in a courtroom, you know, when a guilty man is acquitted, the judge is condemned. That is, if a judge knowingly, if he willingly, if he deliberately allows a criminal to go free, the judge himself becomes a criminal. Now, if God were to allow sin to go unpunished, God himself, he'd just fall off. He would topple off his throne of holiness, and God would become a sinner. Now, God cannot do that, so God doesn't overlook sin, and he pays for sin with the sinless sacrifice, the blood so we're going to celebrate in just a minute the blood of his own son, Jesus. And therefore, the Bible tells us of the pardon and the forgiveness that is in the blood of Jesus. And the old hymn is right, the one that we sang uh, right off the bat at the beginning of our service. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Now, the Baptists know that. And you know what? The Methodists, we know that too. And the Pentecostals and the Presbyterians, they know that. We know that it's a sacred blood, and we know that it's a saving blood. But here's where we fail sometimes. Here we're, here's why so many of us are not living really in victory. We have not understood the secret of the shared blood, and it is a shared blood. Now, Jesus said something here in John chapter 6 that I think just scandalized his disciples. I mean, it was... It was repugnant to them. And in verse 53, it says, Jesus, Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And when Jesus said this, if you read further on in the chapter, you're going to find out that many of his followers left him. So many of them left him, he had to turn to his own disciples and ask them the question, you know, are you guys going to go too? Do you want to leave too? And what was it that so scandalized them? I want to do a quick little Bible study here. We're going to start off in Genesis 9 and verse 4. And here's what God said way back before Moses, back before the Mosaic law. And the Bible says, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And then go over a few chapters into Leviticus 3 and verse 17. It says, this is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Wherever you live, you must not eat any fat or any blood. Calvary, we would be so much more healthy today if we just listened to what God says right there, right? In Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17. Now turn over a few more pages to Leviticus 7 and verse 26 and 27. Verse 26, and wherever you live, you must not eat the blood of any bird or animal. And then verse 27, if anyone eats blood, that person must be cut off from his people. And then turn over a few more pages to Leviticus 17 and verse 11. And 14, verse 11, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you 
to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And then verse 14, because the life of every creature is in its blood. And that's why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is in its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Well, you say, well, good enough, Dave. Before the law, God said, don't drink the blood. During the law, God said, don't eat the blood. What about after the law? Well, look at Acts chapter 15. Now, here in the New Testament, there was a kind of a conflict or a discussion, uh, a dispute in the church as to what kind of ceremonies or what kind of moral principles and precepts should carry over into the New Testament. And so they had this conference, and we call it the Jerusalem Council the council at Jerusalem, and they were asking, what are we going to tell these Gentiles to do? These Gentiles who have just come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're not under the Mosaic law. What shall be some basic requirements for them? And so they discussed it for several days, and then we read about it in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28, which says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And what are the requirements? What are the things necessary? In verse 29, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So you want to do well? God said it. Abstain from these things. He mentions four of them, and two of them have to do with eating blood. And he said, abstain from blood. That is, don't eat any blood. And then he said, don't eat meat that's from things that are strangled. See, when you strangle something, you don't, you don't bleed it. You don't cut the throat. You just choke it to death, and the blood is still in it. And so God said, don't eat the meat that's been killed in that way. Only eat meat that has been properly bled. Now listen, all through their lives, these Jews, these Jews have been, been hearing this. You know, eat no blood. Eat no blood. Eat no blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. If you eat the blood, you're going to be cut off and so forth. And then Jesus stands up. On that day, in John chapter 6, and he says, you are to eat my flesh. And you are to drink my blood. Now, you can imagine why they were so scandalized. I tell you, it grossed them out. You know, they said... Probably, this is savage. It's like cannibals. This is terrible. And they started leaving him. And they forsook him. But Jesus kind of clears it up. Let's go back to John chapter 6 in verse 63 and see what Jesus had in mind when he was given this awesome teaching, marvelous teaching, dynamic teaching. Verse 63, it says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. That is, I'm talking to you in spiritual terms. You know, you're not going to eat my fingers. You're not going to eat my toes. You're not going to actually drink my blood. I mean, there's only five or six quarts there anyway. It wouldn't be enough for everybody in the world. He's not talking about that. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. I'm talking to you about something that deals with your very life. Now listen, the shed blood deals with the penalty of sin. When we share his blood, when his blood is a part of us, then we have power. There is no more potent message than to spiritually understand what Jesus meant here in John chapter 6. 
And so I think there are three great truths that I want to share with you today. The first truth that I want you to notice is what I want to call the commodities in the blood. You know, imagine this giant pipeline. And this pipeline goes to every city all over the world, and every person in the world has this pipeline came right past where they live. Now imagine in that pipeline are boats, and these boats are loaded with all the things that people need. Everything you need is just floating past your house. If you miss uh, you know, that one, then another one is coming, and they just keep coming, and all you have to do is reach out and appropriate whatever you need, and it's there for you just for the taking. Now in your body, there's a pipeline. There are blood vessels, and that pipeline flows to every cell in your body, not to six billion plus people upon the face of the earth, but to 100 trillion cells in your body. And in that pipeline is everything that those cells need for life and survival. And all of the commodities that those cells need are on those boats called red blood cells. And they just come floating by. You know, oxygen, it's there. Amino acids, it's there. Nitrogen, it's there. Potassium, it's there. Calcium, it's there. Magnesium is there. Sugar is there. Lipids, they're there. Cholesterol, they're there. Hormones, they're there. Everything that cell needs. And they, they can just reach out and appropriate and take. And in my body and in your body, there are miles and miles and miles of blood vessels. And some of them are so minute and so small that you need a microscope to see them. And you can't live long without water. And you can live a little longer without food. But you can only live a few minutes without oxygen. And that oxygen that is carried to you by the bloodstream, you see, Calvary, those little red cells bring you life. And it's no wonder that the Bible says clearly and plainly the greatest and most commonly accepted medical fact that the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's in the blood. And just as God says, isn't that right? I mean, way back before the day of microbiology, way back before the day of modern medicine, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that's a physical fact. But there's also a corresponding spiritual fact. Just as every cell in my body is at the mercy of my blood, every cell in the body of Jesus is at the mercy of his blood. We live at the mercy of his blood, and all that we need is supplied by the atoning death and the saving life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Jesus 1 Peter 1.19 says the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish. And we are reconciled by his death. That is his shed blood. But we are saved by his life. And that's the shared blood. And all that we need, we have it in Jesus Christ. And so there are commodities in the blood that, that you need. And there's also um, the second great truth, cleansing. Not only commodities, but cleansing in the blood. 1 John 1, 7. It says the blood of Jesus, what? It, it purifies us from all sin. It cleanses us from all sin. Listen, in your bodies, uh, there's waste and there's garbage that needs to be carried away and out of the body. Now, here's the interesting thing. Those same boats that have all the goodies on them also have garbage cans on them and a lid. Your cell not only takes what it needs, but it dumps in all the garbage, and then these cells, they go back to the lungs again to get new oxygen and, and to get rid of that carbon dioxide, and they just exhale, and that poison gas goes out, and that oxygen comes back in, and they load up on oxygen, and those same cells will run down you know, through the kidneys and just think that old heart is, is pumping and beating and pounding 
uh, that blood through those kidneys, and I'm told that one red blood cell will circulate in 20 seconds throughout the entire body. Getting rid of that uric acid and all that poison and all that waste, and you're constantly being cleansed by the blood. That same blood that has those commodities has the cleansing, and you're being cleansed totally and completely and continuously by the blood. Now, do an experiment sometime. I mean, if you get one of those uh, blood pressure pumps or one of those tourniquets, put that on and then, you know, take a ball and just squeeze it while the tourniquet is on. And after a while, your arm is going to start to hurt. And first, it'll feel a little weak and then all of a sudden pain and then all of a sudden excruciating pain if you leave it on. You see, the blood is not able to cleanse because the flow of the blood has been cut off. And the blood can no longer cleanse that arm and that garbage, that residue is left there and it causes you pain. So if you release the cuff or the tourniquet, the blood will begin to flow and strength will come and that pain will go and you'll feel relief and you'll feel release because those poisons and wastes that have caused such pain are just carried away. And that is exactly what the blood of Jesus does for us because in our lives, Christians, in our lives, there's garbage really that builds up, is there not? You know, we got fear, we got anger, we got worry and doubt and bitterness and hostility and unforgiveness. And I tell you, this is garbage in your spiritual body. And if you leave it there, it's going to cause great pain to you and also to all those around you. Sin and suffering are also linked together. But listen, if you have those kinds of pain in your body, it's because you have not allowed the blood of Jesus, God's Son, to flow through you. And it's that flowing blood, not just the shed blood, but the shared blood, the shared blood that cleanses us and continues to cleanse us from all sin as the blood of God's Son begins to flow freely through us. The commodity, everything good that we need. The cleansing takes away the bad. The blood brings in the good and carries out the bad. Some people don't want to become a Christian because they think they're going to have to give up something. Do you know what the blood carries away? It carries away garbage, trash, pain. The Lord thy God is a sun and a shield, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. What God wants to do is to cleanse you and to empower you and supply you with those things that will make you spiritually strong and spiritually healthy, and God's not asking you to give up anything that is good. And when you give up the bad, God gives you the good because the same boat that has all the goodies on the boat, that's the boat that carries away the garbage too. So the commodities, the cleansing. Uh, finally, the, the third great truth I want to share with you is I want to talk about the conquest uh, in the blood. You see, your blood is constantly fighting a battle. And we get in, invaded. You know, there's been a lot of sickness going around. Some of you probably are still battling something as you're sitting right here in the sanctuary you're battling a virus, a bacteria. We get invaded by bacteria and viruses and our blood goes to battle and declares war with what is called white blood cells and antibodies to fight off the invaders which are called the antigens and we use uh, immunizations and vaccinations and sometimes we take blood from another person who has successfully fought off a certain disease and we call that wise blood, somebody that has already has an immune system and, and put his blood, this wise blood, into somebody else's blood. You see, science has discovered what God already knew. Listen, 
the capacity of one person's blood to help protect another person. That protected person has borrowed from the other person wise blood. And may I say, the blood of Jesus is wise blood. Jesus took sin into himself, and he who knew no sin became sin for us. And Jesus took this sin, and he overcame sin, and he was victorious over sin. And now because I have his blood in me, I have in me the spiritual antibody that can overcome everything he overcame. Listen, I have in me the spiritual antibody that can now overcome anything Jesus overcame. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 16, we'll get to that in a few weeks, in verse 33, he says, I've overcome the world, right? And then what does the Bible say to us who are Christians? It speaks about the devil. I think Martin Luther threw an inkwell at the devil one time. But it speaks about the devil in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. And it says that they overcame him. That is the devil by the blood of the lamb. Do you see? He overcame and now we overcome by the blood. We have in us those spiritual antibodies that overcome the spiritual antigen of the devil. And what is the blood of Jesus? Listen, folks, you have need. And so there are commodities in the blood. And you have sins, and so there's cleansing in the blood. And there's an enemy, you know, the devil. The devil himself would attack and invade, but you can overcome him by the blood of the lamb because Jesus overcame him, and you have those antibodies in you, and his shared blood is in you. And that is the conquest. You say, well, Mr. Preacher, Pastor, how do you get a hold of it? You know, where do I get a transfusion? How is the blood of Jesus made available to me? Well, again, you got to look at God's word. Let's go back to John chapter 6, verse 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Now listen, what is the blood? The blood is life. What are the words? The words are life. What is Jesus saying? Are you listening? Do not miss this. Jesus is saying that this book is to your spirit what blood is to your body. That's what he's saying. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. You want the power of the blood of Jesus to be in you? You want to eat his flesh and drink his blood? You'll never separate the Lord of the word from the word of the Lord. The words that I have spoken to you, they're spirit. They are life. Did somebody hurt you? Are you resentful? Are you bitter? It's because his word of forgiveness is not flowing through you and cleansing you. Are you full of fear? Are you full of doubt in your life? It's because his word of faith is not flowing through you. Are your prayers not being answered? It's because the word of God is not alive and flowing through you. And how's it going to flow? It's going to flow through the word of God. The shed blood is for forgiveness. The shared blood is for power. There's commodity, there's cleansing, there's conquest in the blood of Jesus. A couple of illustrations, and then we're going to join together in the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in Holy Communion. But in one of the most moving dialogues of all human literature, two brothers, Ivan and Alyosha Karmatsov, and 
Dostoevsky's great novel are talking in a tavern about all the insufferable evils of our world that people commit against each other and especially to little children. And Ivan is this atheist and with a demonic passion he argues that there's no way in heaven or on earth for God and man to have harmony again. No way to bring God and man back together in this rotten world. And Alyosha, he just sits with his face in his hands and he cannot think of a philosophical argument to answer his brilliant brother. But he finally lifts his head and he says, ah, but there is one who can forgive everyone everything because he shed his innocent blood for everybody everywhere. And that, I do believe, is the heart of the matter, the blood of Jesus. I heard a story about a little boy that was told by his doctor that he could save his sister's life by giving her some blood. And Mary, the six-year-old girl, was near death, and she was victim of a disease from which the boy had a marvelous recovery uh, two years earlier. Her, Her only chance for restoration was a blood transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the illness. And since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was a perfect and ideal donor. Johnny, would you like to give your blood for Mary, the doctor said. And the boy hesitated, and his lower lip started to tremble a little bit. And then he smiled and said, sure, doc, I'll give my blood for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the operating room, and Mary was pale and thin, and Johnny was robust and a picture of health. And neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny just grinned. And as the blood siphoned into Mary's veins, one could almost see you know, a new life just coming into her tired, broken body. And the ordeal was almost over when Johnny's brave little voice broke the silence. And he said, uh, say, Doc, when do I die? And it was only then that the doctor realized what the moment of hesitation, that trembling of the lip meant. Little Johnny actually thought it that in giving his blood to his sister, he was giving up his life. And in that brief moment, he made his great decision. Have you made that great decision? That's the call that Billy Graham would give to millions of people all over the world, that great decision to give your life to Jesus. And that's what it means to receive Jesus. It is a commitment to death. If anyone wants to follow me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we're, we, we give all we are to him. And by this act of our will through the Holy Spirit, there's this transfusion of life on the altar of God. And new life happens. And we hear a lot about blood banks and there are d- depositories where Blood taken from healthy donors is stored up for future use and through the adding maybe of certain preservatives and the maintenance of proper temperature, the blood can be kept for a relatively long period of time. But when an emergency arises in which a transfusion is needed, a call to the blood bank will usually bring forth the desired supply of saving fluid. This is a marvel, really, of modern science. But how much more wonderful is the blood bank of Calvary? There, in unlimited supply, is the incorruptible blood of the Son of God. Its life-giving power is as strong today as it was when it was given at the cross. And you know what? It matches every type. It avails for every need. 
And it is free to all who receive it into their hearts by faith. If for any reason your life has not known this divine transfusion, receive it now. Make the great decision now. Offer yourself to him, even as he has given himself to you. He gave it all for you. That's what we're celebrating today. And as you partake of the juice and the bread, be reminded that you can give your life to Christ completely today. Make your great decision. Offer yourself to him even as he has given himself to you. And in this holy outpouring of life, your heart, I believe, will feel the throb of the heart of God. Ah, there is one. There is one who can forgive everybody everything because he shed his innocent blood for everybody everywhere. And that, I do believe, is the heart of the matter. So we're going to celebrate uh, Holy Communion at this time. And if you remember, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he invited them uh, to eat the bread in remembrance of him. And in the same way, it says he took the cup and it was the, the cup of the new covenant uh, for the remission or for the forgiveness of sins. And he offered it to all his disciples. He said, drink it uh, in remembrance of me. And we get to do the same thing. He told us to do this meal often. We do it once a month. John Wesley did it every day. Some churches do it every Sunday. But as we do this, we remember that it was our sin that put him on the cross. And that's why he died. Because of his love and because of his desire to be reconciled with us and to give us an opportunity for repentance. So the invitation goes something like this. All who earnestly repent of their sin. One thing I appreciate about Billy Graham and his preaching, he talked a lot about sin because if you don't get about you don't get it about sin. You will never need a savior. All who earnestly repent of their sin and are in love and charity with their neighbor, you, you come and celebrate the death, burial, life, and resurrection of Jesus. And you're invited to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. We have an open communion, so we leave it up to you uh, before the Lord. So before I ask the ushers to come forward to pass out the elements and we'll take the bread uh, first and you'll wait and we'll take it all together and then we'll do the same with the cup. But before we do that, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come to you only because of your blood, only because you made a way for us to come right into the Holy of Holies, to come into your very presence and God, to come boldly before your presence. And I thank you, Lord, for the power of the blood of your son, Jesus, to forgive us, to justify us, and to give us power. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountains. 
It flows to the lowest valley, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. It soothes my doubts. It calms all my fears. It even dries all my tears. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it'll never lose its power. And we declare that. And Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to take the bread together and to eat this bread together, reminding us that we're of one loaf. Lord, we want to turn away from the things that displease you. And we want to love you with our whole heart. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Lord, remind us that we can't do it without you, without the power of your spirit and the power of your blood. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.